tight show, everyone. Here we go. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to episode 130 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Andy Chandler, John Farley, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. It is a buff or bluff episode, so this is where we take any topic from the land of TV or film, we reveal some interesting facts, and try to hide the fact that we've made one of them up. So play along with us, won't you, as we start the show. I oh, watched the uh, Super Mario's trailer yesterday before Creed 3. God, it looks shite, doesn't it? <laughs> My nephew is really into Mario and I've already promised I'll go see it with him. So I'm hoping I die before <laughs> the release date as that, the sweet embrace of death appears to be the only way out of having to sit through 90 minutes of Chris Pratt not even doing the accent. <laughs> he didn't speak much in the trailer. But it was more like, yes, which way? Oh, through the mm. shoot. I didn't, I didn't get a sense of what accent he's going to be doing. Do you think they're trying to cover that aspect up? Some I do think Last that, minute yeah. ADR probably is going on, yeah. I feel sorry for the guy that's played Mario in like the cartoons and every computer game and everything for the last 20 years and has like the very famous Mario voice. And then fucking big game <laughs> hunter, weird churchy guy takes over. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a me, Trumpio. <laughs> I am a billionaire. No, really, I am. I'd pay to see that movie. Super Trump Brothers. <laughs> you'd pay to see that movie, but you'd rather die before seeing the actual Super Mario Brothers. Have I got that right? Yes, and I, I like a Super Mario. Mm. You don't have to die. You could just be incarcerated for a long time. Yeah, Han Solo I style. I could lose my eyesight in some way. No, he'd still make you accompany him and you'd have to hear it, which is probably oh, Well, maybe if I lost my hearing. And eyesight, just to be safe. Yeah, well, at least I wouldn't have to listen to Chris Pratt. In that case, I can just put my own plot on the top. You could still smell him, though. Yeah. <laughs> wonder what he smells of. Righteousness. Is that a smell? Death. <laughs> yeah, you kind of think, like, Ron Swanson definitely has a, a smell. Yeah. How would you summarise that? Musky. Like, musky, yeah. So you saw Creed Free? We've been having a very creedy week. Watched one, which I've already seen, Andy hadn't seen, and I'd not seen Creed 2, so we watched that this week as well. Really, really, really good. I know they might be underestimated a little bit. I don't know why, um, like the Rocky connection and some of those films aren't great. But the Creed films are brilliant. Take that back. All Rocky films are great. Are they? Rocky 5. <laughs> Rocky 4. Rocky 4. four. Rocky 4 is brilliant, but yeah. when we were looking, it's got 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Did, you, did really? you forget the robot? I was specifically thinking of the robot. He did a recut last year. Sylvester Stallone took the robot out, which is just unforgivable. Yeah. What else did he change? They said he took some of the silliness out of it. And you're like, well, that's the point of Rocky yeah. IV. Yeah, I do suit. enjoy Rocky IV a lot. Um, and it has quite a strong connection to the Creed films, given that yeah. Adonis Creed is uh, Apollo's son. Spoiler. No, premise. <laughs> premise, <laughs> yeah. Really Basic premise. Yeah. yeah. Title of film. Yeah. But yeah, Sylvester Stallone is not in Creed 3. I believe he had some disagreements with the producers. Yeah, mm. he's not happy. But I think he had a really good role to play in the first two Creed films. Like that kind of sympathetic father-esque figure or uncle-esque figure in this kind of case. And mm. 
Yeah, we'll probably get into Creed 3 in a recommendations episode a little bit further, but we loved it. Did anyone watch the first episode of The Mandalorian this week? Yes. That has stuff where he's talking about The Mandalorian and their Creed about five or six times, and then he goes and meets Apollo Creed, <laughs> which I thought was pretty weird. <laughs> Carl Weathers, the original Apollo oh, Creed from yes. the Rocky movies. He's in The he's Mandalorian. He's in The Mandalorian, yeah. Is it time to buff our love? Buff our love. Yes, why not? <laughs> Do we have any volunteers to go first? John, you were incredibly prepared this morning. I was, yeah. I, 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 I wrote this Buffalo Bluff literally as we were starting the recording, so I'm doing, doing well. You say you wrote, you didn't write anything down. I didn't. Um, I, I took a screenshot on my phone. So my Buffalo Bluff is about Stanley Kubrick, mm. the great director, slightly insane man, <laughs> from what I understand. So there was a big exhibition in London with like loads of props and all his films and everything and loads of background detail. And he's really interesting. And there's also a really good book by um, Tashin. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Who do like these big art books and they've done an amazing book of the Stanley Kubrick archives. He kept everything. He was a hoarder. So every little slip of paper and every note of every film he made was all just kept in boxes. And they went through and produced this amazing book about his films. So here are three facts about Stanley Kubrick and his films, two of which are true, one of which is a complete lie. Number one, when making Doctor Strangelove, the cast were not entirely on board with the farcical nature of the film. He made the cast do an exercise where they would do silly versions of the script, which he <laughs> surreptitiously filmed, <laughs> and is what was actually used in the final movie, wow. rather than the serious scenes that they shot afterwards. Hmm. Okay. Number two, the giant phallus from A Clockwork Orange that Malcolm McDowell uses to beat people to death turns up as a background prop in the live-action film of 101 Dalmatians in Cruella <laughs> Deville's lair with an Alsatian coat draped over it in the background of her office. Right. right. <laughs> and number three, Stanley Kubrick was obsessed with cats. Cats were the only other things allowed in his editing room. He fed his cats Evian water, and when he had to leave his cats, he left typed instructions for the care of his cats that ran to 15 pages. Yeah, that sounds perfectly right. normal. So if the phallic object was coated in a coat, how do you know the phallic object was underneath it? Somebody found it. Somebody pointed out in the background when the film came out on DVD, they freeze-framed it. I recognise that shape. <laughs> <laughs> and you can still see the porcelain underneath. But it had a, a the coat over the top, so it looked like it was just like a mannequin, but it was obviously in-joke by mm-hmm. one of the proper set designers. I've not seen A Clockwork Orange. I intend no. to watch it at some point. I'm not sure if that makes me more or less interested. I mean, if it helps, then mm. whilst he's bashing somebody in with a giant phallic sculpture, he's singing, singing in the rain. <laughs> Does this film even exist? <laughs> Is it a big in-joke? <laughs> I feel like I would know the story about Dr. Strangelove included the rehearsal scenes in the film and not the actual scenes they shot. Mm. Apparently George C. Scott was very, very annoyed and yeah. refused to ever work with Kubrick again as a result. could argue that's a breach of trust mm-hmm. from the director. Yeah, and also like a lot of the scenes are kind of like performed quite straight and mm. then it's like he just tells those characters that do a lot of the mm-hmm. crazy kind of stuff. So I wonder if he told Peter Sellers but not the rest. I really like that fact, um, but I don't know a huge amount about Stanley Kubrick, but would he be happy to achieve his aims through subterfuge or would he be more, no, this is the way we're doing it, shut up actors, 
do it the way I tell you. I mean, there's lots of examples of, say, directors saying, okay, on the count of three, one, two, push, <laughs> and things like that, to get reactions out of their cast. Alan Rickman being dropped off the yeah. top of the building in yeah. Die Hard. Literally it? thrown off the top of a building. Yeah. yeah. Well, literally on a green screen, but <laughs> yes. No, that was a surprise. He thought it was a green screen. <laughs> yeah. It was just a patch of grass at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, d- I feel like I would have heard that one and also done that. I know he demanded a lot of takes. He demanded yeah. an awful lot mm. of rehearsals. But I don't know about including Cup Do. And famously, Eyes Wide Shut took, what, two years to film? Something like that, yeah. He died before it was finished, didn't he? There's, there's some dispute about it, but they reckon that he'd done his final oh. cut, but then they had to stick some people over the orgy scene, some CGI <laughs> over the naughty bits to get an R rating, yeah. which was done after he died. And there was uh, AI, which he developed and then taken on by Steven Spielberg after his death. The cats thing, totally believe, because cats are awesome. Yep. You have cats. Mm-hmm. When you leave your cats, how long are your instructions? Ooh, at least 10 pages, maybe not 15. 15's excessive. Yeah, 15's, uh, yeah, bluff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 10 pages is sufficient, and then for everything else, you can just ask the cats what they want. When I leave the dog, it's just, here's a dog. <laughs> Three words, don't <laughs> kill them. <laughs> what was the second one again? It was the phallic object. Of course, yeah, I've, I've just accepted that. That does sound in John's wheelhouse, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's an odd film to pick, the mm. 101 Dalmatian. The, specifically the animated film, not the live action. No, the live action. Oh, the live yeah. action with yeah, the, Glenn the, Close. Yeah, the Glenn Close one, yeah. Right. If that had been made up by John, would he have picked that film? Or would he have picked something a little more outstanding? I mean, not in terms of quality, a little more unusual to have a giant phallus in the background. Not a kid's film. Yeah. John would absolutely choose a kid's film to put a giant yeah. phallus in the background. Yeah, and he point. does have a dog. I'm going to go for the cat's one. I don't know why. Don't ask me. I can't help you. <laughs> oh, I'm toying between the first two, but I think I'll go for the first one. The filming of the... The rehearsals being included in the final film. Peter? I'm going to go for the giant phallus, <laughs> just because that's fun to say. <laughs> Peter, you're correct. Ah. Hey. <laughs> There has been a history of things being hidden in Disney films. There was famously, is it The Rescuers, where they go down a slide and there's a picture of a pair of breasts or a topless lady. How in much the background. is this people like reading things into things that aren't necessarily there? No, that genuinely was there with The Rescuers. It was put in by Joe and the animators, thinking that it would shoot past so quickly that nobody would ever see it. Before video. Yeah. A did film the rehearsals and they told them it was an acting exercise and to just go as broad and silly as possible to try and find the characters and then we'll scale it back down for the actual shooting and then you use the crazy takes, presumably not for the whole film, but for, this, mm. you, you know, there's bits with Josh C. Scott at the end that are quite pantomime. Yeah, I forgot about that bit. And he was cat-obsessed and he did leave 15 pages of instructions. There is something about Kubrick which seems to inspire sort of weird stories and Things mm-hmm. that are perhaps made up or not, like the famous story about him helping shoot the moon landing. There's an entire, oh, yeah. there's an entire movie about that. But there's also rumours that he helped light one of the Bond films. He yeah. was kind of brought in at night when they were shooting a scene with two nuclear submarines in a water tank that he was kind of brought in to help light it. Mm-hmm. It was tricky to do. So there just must be something about the mystique he had that made yeah. people make up stories. Well, there's the guy who spent a long time on the London social scene just saying, I'm Stanley Kubrick, and because nobody knew what he looked like. 
he'd get invited to premieres and go <laughs> drinks and all sorts of stuff. I think they made a film of that with John Malkovich, maybe. Are you going to buy the new Shining book when it comes out? I'm going to buy a later edition of the new Shining oh, yeah. book. It's, How much is it? It's £1,500 1, <sighs> for a limited edition book. Jesus. And I've been waiting for this book for years because it's written by the guy who died, unfortunately, uh, J.W. Rinsler. <laughs> is that why it's so expensive? You have to get a medium involved. <laughs> if, if, yeah, it's having to <laughs> written one moving cup at a time on a Ouija board. So we're doing loads and loads of takes and the only actor who stood up against him doing lots of takes was Dave Prowse. Mm. One of the characters in the Clockwork Orange is in a wheelchair. I think as a result of being attacked by Alex. And Dave Prowse plays his bodyguard henchman guy who basically picks him up and carries him around. And there's a shot where Dave Prowse is having to carry the guy, pick him up and go up a flight of stairs with this guy in a wheelchair. And Stanley Kubrick said they wanted him to do this, and Dave Prowse said, hang on, you're not known as one-take Kubrick, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and agreed with him a limited number of times that he would have to do it just because of the weight of the wheelchair and the guy. Yeah, weird. Right. Well, bathing in the afterglow of Creed 3 that we saw last night and thought was fantastic, um, I've got three facts, one of which is not a fact, about actors in boxing movies who went all method in that. So, number one, for Raging Bull, Robert De Niro threw himself into his boxing training. He worked with the real Jake LaMotta, sparring for hundreds of rounds, and even took part in four actual fights in Brooklyn, winning three of them. Mm. For mm. 2009's Fighting, imaginatively titled film, Channing Tatum leaned on childhood martial arts experience for his role as a street hustler drawn into the world of underground fighting. He tried to go method, signing up for fights at a New York boxing gym, but the studio put a stop to that after production was delayed by Tatum suffering a broken nose during sparring. And number three, Daniel Day-Lewis. Should I go on? No. <laughs> True. Now, if it's Jared Leto. Daniel Day-Lewis starred in 1997's The Boxer as Northern Irish pugilist Danny Flynn. It won't surprise you to learn that he spent three years learning to box and got so good that his trainer thought he could compete with the best in the sport. But what if I told you that he gave himself a prison tattoo to lend authenticity to his appearance? He tattooed his own hand at home, DIY style, like he was in an Irish prison just for a film and it wasn't even a focal part of the film. Yeah. I mean, he had boxing gloves on throughout the entire <laughs> the film, so never, never was seen on screen. I know Rob De Niro did go method for Raging Bull, but the famous story is when he was large at the end, he just took three months off and he just ate pasta for three months to become the, you know, the, the, the bulkier old little motta. But when you see him in there, you know, in, in the film, he's obviously done the work. But the film is so heavily edited, I was never sure how much boxing is in there. Mm. It's a masterclass in editing, but whether he needed to actually perform as a boxer for that i don't and you were saying they were never intending to have so much fighting in it mm. on a previous buff or bluff i think yeah <laughs> that, that might have been the bluff <laughs> channing tatum is quite accident prone isn't he didn't he break his penis on a film <laughs> i'm sure that was a buff or bluff once he broke his penis on a magic mike film it might have been 21 jump street but he's definitely broken his penis I mean, I mean he, you've, you've seen, you watched Magic Mike's Last Dance fairly recently. Unfortunately, Did yes. he have a splint on there? I mean, I looked. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's no nudity in uh, Magic Mike 3. Some underwear and some uh, water, which makes for... Where am I going with this? 
<laughs> so the buff or bluff was that he broke his nose practicing. His plan was to go method in mm-hmm. um, a similar way to De Niro to um, take some real boxing fights um, at a New York gym. And during sparring, a um, bit of training for it, he got a broken nose and this caused a delay in production. And uh, the studio said, nope, you're not doing that. You're not De Niro. You're not De Niro. <laughs> That's but, true. Yeah, I so mean, Channing Tatum hears you're not De Niro a lot. <laughs> <laughs> His wife on a morning is like, you're not De Niro. His wife. Like, because he's not, not De Niro. De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> Did she leave him for a De Niro? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that one. Cherry Channing, can you upset? Who've brought the pain back there? <laughs> I think I'm going to pick Channing Tatum for that one. I know Andy knows that things like Magic Mike were based on his own experience, and that's why he was thinking of him. Okay. I wonder if the Daniel Day-Lewis thing has been included because of his reputation as a method actor and for going to extreme places. And much like the Jared Leto thing a few weeks ago... It's mere inclusion is like, yeah, we'll accept that as fact. Is it? Mm. I'm going to go for Channing Tatum. I'm going to go for Daniel Day-Lewis. The Tatums have it. Two for two. Daniel Day-Lewis did tattoo his own hand. Prison style, he's got a little kind of tree that becomes a crucifix, which seemed to be befitting of an Irish Catholic IRA fighter, which apparently is his character in the film. Don't know, not seen it. De Niro did win a few legit fights and got good at boxing and not so good at pulling his punches. Joe Pesci won't be too happy about that because he broke Pesci's rib oh. during filming and the footage made the final cut. So you can see what it looks like when Joe Pesci has his ribs broken. Channing Tatum, as a young child, did Shaolin Gocho Kung Fu. So he does have a background in martial arts, not so much in boxing. He did actually break his nose, but it was during filming. It wasn't in um, some sort of uh, training preparation thing. And um, they just kept going. Apparently, they um, put a pair of spoons in an ice bucket until they were cold. And then, his words, mashed his nose back into shape with the spoons so that he could continue (gasps) filming. Sounds like a lot of fun. Who wouldn't want to be a method actor? (laughs) (laughs) I have buffs or bluffs about espionage and spying. Number one, Ian Fleming helped devise Operation Mincemeat, a plan to take the corpse of a tramp, dress him up as a Royal Marine, and arrange for him to wash up onshore off Spain, bearing false documents to mislead Hitler. Number two, one of Russia's most notorious spies was George Carver, real name Yuri Popovich, who maintained affairs or bigamous marriages with up to five women at once working in different departments of the same building in the late 70s. (laughs) He was caught when one of the women saw a photo of her husband on another woman's desk and was traded two years later on the Bridge of Spies in Moscow for a man that the US still claims was just an aid worker. Number three. When the US started building a new embassy in Moscow in the 80s, they discovered so many bugs and other listening devices in the structure of the building that they had to abandon it. Russian workers had also mixed metal tools and random electric components into the concrete to frustrate electronic scanners. (laughs) In the end, the US had to demolish the top two floors and start again. Hmm. Which one is the bluff? Well, I'm pretty sure Andy and I know one of them because it's there was a spe- film was a, a couple film. of years ago called Operation Mincemeat, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Ian Fleming is in that film. It's a really good film, actually. The Operation Mincemeat, really good I mean, film. Who hasn't just to tramp up in their clothes and sent them to do something? <laughs> oh dear. 
Is, I, I is that how you got your A-levels? That's, that's how I got my degree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's between the other two. Late 70s, this is the bigamous... Yes, uh, George Carver, George real name Carver. Yuri Popovich. Goodness, I could name. Is that the name that the character had in Bridge of Spies? Because the, the end of that fact, it sounded like Bridge of Spies. Mm. Is it British Spies? No. Okay. Different thing. That was an exchange for Gary Powers, the US test pilot. Right. That's not a real name. That's right. That's, it. That's, that, that's espionage for you. <laughs> I mean, five women in the same department. Different departments of Different the department same building. Of the same building. That's that sounds... I mean, I, it... I could only manage four. <laughs> <laughs> the building was the Virginia office of the CIA, who handled uh, US relations Langley. with the Soviets, Langley Park, and it has over 21,000 employees. Okay, so you can keep them apart. Yeah, it's not like you worked in a grocer's or something. Mm-hmm. Even so, it sounds like a bit of a daft idea. Well, if you're working all the time, if you're busy, yeah. you can't go elsewhere for your affairs, can you? <laughs> it's quite handy. You can just go for lunch with one of them every day. Keep them happy in the stuff okay, five, five t- Monday to Friday. Monday to Friday. <laughs> he didn't work in the building. Oh, okay. All the women did. Okay, so we've established that John understands, um, believes, and condones number two. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just interested in the the logistics more than anything. (laughs) What, some sort of guide? Um, Remind us of number three. Number three was the entirely bug-ridden US embassy in Moscow, where they had to demolish the top two floors of the building because it was just unusable. Yeah, that sounds right. When was this? They started building in the 80s, and then it was abandoned for about four or five years. During the escalations in the 80s? It was at the end of the Cold War that yeah. they finally started trying to work out how to use it, which is when they built the rest from scratch, using US workers. Part of the problem is they used Russian workers. Surely, in, in the Cold War, they would have brought workers over from America. They wouldn't have just used locals. I mean, you'd like to think so. Oh, apparently they didn't, and also the security was really terrible as well. Yeah. Just... Not the kind of paranoia-ridden America that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably you've heard about the big Russian seal that the, um, was given supposedly by Russian children, school children to, to the an US American aquarium, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually Putin inside a... It's in that, that film the, Tusk, the Kevin Smith film. Uh, <laughs> it's actually Vladimir Putin inside a, inside a, oh, a seal went, suit. They went Troy on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> And it was in the home of the US ambassador for 10 years or so. Would the KGB lie? <laughs> Possibly. Hmm. Hmm. My worldview is shaken. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go for number two on the basis I would like to make it very clear that I don't <laughs> think Peter is having an affair. But if Peter but. <laughs> was to imagine having an affair, he would make it needlessly overcomplicated and technical <laughs> and risky for no reason. <laughs> So I would guess number two could have come from Peter's brain. Okay. And so number three was the embassy full of bugs, and number one was Operation Minsky. Yeah, pretty, like, well, no, 100% certain that the first one is true. I will probably, no, I don't know. I think I'll go for three. I think I'll go for three. Okay. I'm, all, yeah. I'm also going for building of bugs. My only reason, because I'm torn between the two, is that when I asked you a follow-up question, you didn't look at your notes. Mm-hmm. You had to go into your own brain. Okay. <laughs> My only reason is I don't want to agree with John. <laughs> That's a good reason. Guidance for life, I think. <laughs> yeah. John is correct. Ah. Yeah, I'm oh, not for three yeah. here. 
I entirely made that up. Hmm. But the one full of bugs, that's entirely true. At the end of not occupying it for a couple of years, the Russians actually handed them a dossier listing all the bugs that were in the building. But the Americans still didn't believe them. There's this huge list here, but you've only told us two-thirds of them, and there's more in there. So, destroy it. But yeah, nuke the place. Yeah, nuke <laughs> <laughs> it for more of them. Okay. So the only way to be sure. <laughs> yeah. An Operation Minsmeet was a real thing. It was conceived in 1939 by Ian Fleming, among others, but wasn't used till 1943. They had to create an entire false identity for the man. Basically, they wanted to be sure that anything they looked into, they found the information there. Because he was going to be found at sea. Like, um, you know, what would a letter that had been enclosed in water look like by that point? And mm-hmm. yeah, they went into an awful lot of detail. And it contained letters that said Sicily was a bluff and that they weren't going to go there. And yeah. of course, Hitler believed it and moved all his resources out of there. And they had a successful invasion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. So, I went to see women talking this week with my lovely husband. Oh, uh, no, I saw... I've never met him. What's he like? <laughs> He's all right. Yeah. yeah. You'd like him. Mm. Andy, if, if there's a picture of Hazel <laughs> on a desk of another man at work. <laughs> <laughs> there, oh, there's this award ceremony where Mark Warburg announced it as women are talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe he wasn't listening. Yeah, no, the yeah, <laughs> no, the director had some fun with that. Anyway, um, it is an extraordinary film. I'll probably recommend it the next time. It features many incredible performances. One of them coming from Frances McDormand. She has such a varied and interesting career to date. So my bluff or buff is about Frances McDormand. All right, number one, she's the first person in. Sorry, that was a lot. That was a big P. She's she's the first person in history to win Academy Awards, both as a producer and a performer for the same film, Nomadland. Number two, Frances McDormand lent her vocal talents to the animated film Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, and she performed a rendition of the classic French song, Non, je ne regrette rien. Hmm. Number three, she is known for her theatrical work as well as her film and TV work, and indeed that's where she started. She's won more Tonys and Academy Awards for acting. Mm. She's married to one of the Coen brothers, isn't she? Yes. I'm amazed that nobody's won, because most actors now are producers. They quite often get executive producer credits. Yeah. An executive doesn't get you an Oscar, does it? It's always it. Producers. But then also quite a few have their own sort of production company working for mm-hmm. them to develop things for them. But then they aren't necessarily the nominated producer for that movie. Is it more of a recent phenomenon that actors would be involved in production? I think so, yeah. 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 Hmm. It's basically if you want control over your career, that's the best way of doing it. it look at the way Tom Cruise has a machine behind him to make movies. Don't make me look at Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it seems... Maybe a bit surprising, but I could believe that. I believe that one, yeah. And she's also a very respected theatre actor. Mm-hmm. So I think that's maybe true. I can I can go into more detail about what she's won. Please do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so she's won three Oscars for her acting. Um, I guess four if you count the producing role. But specifically for acting, she's won for Nomadland, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Fargo. Brilliant film. Yeah. <laughs> and her Tony Awards, she has won four for A Streetcar Named Desire, Good People, The Swan, and Far Away. 
So I like the way she corroborated one bluff with the other bluff. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. Which leads us on to the Madagascar fact. Mm -hmm. Did she play a particular animated character in that? Was she a a wombat or something? No, she played Capitaine uh, Chantal Dubois, French lady. And she sings Jeanne Gatorian for about a minute. Mm. Mm. I'm going to go with Madagascar. I think that it was another similarly venerable actor. And you have transplanted Francis McDormand into said fact. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go for that also. And so am I. Okay, well, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it, but I, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear Francis McDormand sing Jeanneau Gatorian for 60 seconds. That'd be amazing. Okay, so she is the first person in history to win an oscar for both acting and producing mm. uh, i did check this out because i had it in the back of my mind that brad pitt might have won for once upon a time in hollywood but he, he does not have a producer credit on that she is the first person and from what i can tell still is the only person mm. wow. so the bluff was the third one she's actually only won one tony award uh, she's been Tony nomin- bastards. Yeah, <laughs> she's been nominated for two, and she won for Good People. Yeah, she's done a lot of theatre work, and that's where she started. Obviously, not that good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Her first professional acting role was in the play In a Fine Castle, which was funded by the MacArthur Foundation and performed in Trinidad. Wonderful actor. Would you like a Fargo quiz question? Yes, I would. Went to see Serial Mum on Thursday at the, the Star and Shadow Cinema, yeah, which is a great little local cinema we have. They kind of show all kinds of older, slightly obscure films. But the question is, what links Serial Mum, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Fargo? And this is a joke? No, this is a, oh, a okay. genuine quiz question. <laughs> Do they all have the exact same runtime? No. Were they all filmed in the same location? No. Is it to do with dead bodies? No. Do they all involve someone getting fed into a wood chipper? No. <laughs> Would have thought that for two of them. Would you like the answer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They all begin with a title saying that it's based on a true story, ah. despite all being completely made up. Ah, ah yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, Andy, you have a quiz for us. And uh, as part of my ongoing campaign to antagonise BBC lawyers who look after Richard Osman's House of Games, I've ripped off. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> uh, it's an homage to uh, one of... A homage of games. Yeah, an homage <laughs> of games. That is what this regular segment will come to be known as. I'm going to give you two clues in one, so you're going to have to just tell me the film title. I'm going to give you a clue that kind of describes the title, but the first letters of each of the words of the clue correspond to the first letters of each of the words of the film title as well. Two clues in one. An example, if that isn't simple enough for you, if I say <laughs> Space Wizards, then oh, that's okay. a description yeah. of a film, um, but also SW, Space Wizards, SW, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. Star Wreck. <laughs> you with me then? With yes, yep. yes. Good. 100%. This, well, this game just needs hats added to it <laughs> to make it more straightforward. So do we buzz in? We do buzz. Would you like to come up with uh, an exciting buzzing noise? Flango. Flango. Excellent. Help. I was about to do, but realised how long it would take me to do that. Yeah. 
Well, you got to, you've got to get the champagne bottle, <laughs> yeah. unwrap it, exactly. open it, yeah. Take the gerbil up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> There's the episode title. <laughs> so that's, that's your buzzer noise, is so it? So instead I'm going to say pop. 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 You told us not to Make pop. Make sure to speak over the mic. So I'm going to say it very carefully. <laughs> okay. All right then, well, here we go. Two clues in one. Bugger, time travel's frustrating. Flango. Flango. Back to the future. Correct. Well, I started shouting out the answer and then realised I had to buzz in first, so I forgot. <laughs> Next. Gigantic, violent, kookiness. Beep. Oh, yes. Um, whatever. Help. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Correct. Oh, yes. Uh, I heard cookiness, so I was going for C. Uh, same here. Yeah. yeah. You just want cookies. Yeah. Big helicopter drops. Beep. Um, pop. Black Hawk down. <laughs> Correct. Of course. Time travel justifies death. Flango, Terminator Judgment Day. Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Correct. <laughs> A naughty offender enters sleep. Yeep, Pop. Yeep. <laughs> A nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. <laughs> I'm enjoying these buzzing noises. <laughs> well done, complicated. <laughs> Awful mess achieves time-wasting quackery. <laughs> Flango. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Irritated Junior attempts to locate Cup. Flango. Indiana Jones and the... Pop. Pop. Help. <laughs> Hang on. Don't give her the clue again. No. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. That's Incorrect. Help. Oh. Incorrect. Would someone else like to help or pop? Yes. Help. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh. I uh, couldn't good remember answer. the clue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point should be shared there. Fair enough. Is uh, anyone keeping score? Keep score? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the little ones take responsibility. Their friends offer them resources. Beep. Be- oh, Flango. Mm. It's Flango. The Lord of the Rings. Oh, yes. The... The the the, the 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 fellowship of the ring. Correct. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well done. A beat behind you. Wacky weirdo attends to confectionery facility. Beat a flango. John. Uh, Willy Wonka and the condom factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> um, you know what? I think everyone's on three each, and I've got one left. Wow. Oh. This one for the title because there is a big shiny golden belt for the winner of the mine. <laughs> um, gazillions of terrible gags very tiresome this is um Guardians of the Galaxy Flango Christmas Beep. special Flango, yes Flango. Hazel Guardians of the Galaxy volume 2 correct oh. <laughs> and the champion Woo. is my wife <laughs> would you like a, a prize from the sack of fun <laughs> it's, it's right there I've sadly got no more room in my cabinet for oh. any more yeah, your, your cabinet is entirely <laughs> conveniently full. Yeah, go on. I will. I will. And squeeze one in. On top of it, I can see there's a Liam Neeson film called Run All Night. Um, I suggest you avoid that. Is that your standard practice for Liam Neeson films? Usually, yeah. Right, I'm going to go deep in, try and avoid Liam Neeson. Oh, tough and deadly. <laughs> Billy Blanks and... Rowdy Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper, yeah. It's got a... Um, sticker about to recycle this i think i will <laughs> <laughs> the world's most 90s video design it really is yeah 
Uh, expert with fists and guns and not afraid to use them is the tagline. I mean, that's not even a <laughs> tagline. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Whilst on duty in France, Special Forces agent John Portland, Billy Blanks, is ambushed by a gang of drug dealing killers. Although rescued from his would be assassins, he is seriously injured and suffering from total memory loss. <laughs> He's returned to the US for treatment. In- <laughs> I can't say that word. In, invali- invalided. Invalided. <laughs> it's invalided. not a word. In, invalided. Invalided out of service and for his own protection is given a new identity. But ex-agent John Portland gets memory flashbacks and every basic instinct is telling him that there is unfinished business and danger. Or oh, ChatGDP wrote this, didn't it? He <laughs> would have done better than that. Renegade narcotics officer oh God, Elmo. Still going. Yeah. Oh, this is the best name I've ever heard. Renegade narcotics officer Elmo Freach. <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> Roddy Piver needs a good man to help him investigate an international drug smuggling ring. Oh, what are the chances? And he teams up with John Portland. He soon discovers that his new buddy is a martial arts master and an expert with fists and guns and not afraid to use them. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Their investigation uncover corruption that is that generally how that sentence goes this is like the barbie thing all over again <sighs> uncover corruption within portland's old firm the cia <laughs> <laughs> and discover that the high-ranking directors within the organization are part of a circle of evil manipulating the drug running gangs for their own gain oh that sounds amazing is it a true story <laughs> yes i, I expect to see that at the beginning oh wow i want to trade it for the liam neeson film not really. This sounds amazing. It won't be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll report back. People say that. It never happens because no <laughs> one actually has the time to waste to watch these things. I lasted 20 minutes of one once. Mm. Uh, the terrible Four Winds in a Funeral knockoff with Stephen Fry. I can't even remember what it was called, but it was painfully yeah. bad. Mm. Dan was very upset with us for quite a long time that he endured the whole of that Nicolas Cage film. Mm-hmm. about The guy that could see 15 minutes into the yes. future or something. Yeah. yeah. Knowing, was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Watched the whole thing so he could report about it on the podcast and nobody else had done the same. We'd all <laughs> given up or not even bothered at all. Was that the Nick Cage one? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd watched Beale. that voluntarily before <laughs> that. <laughs> I watched New Year's Eve. Oh, I got that from I'm the sorry. soccer fun and watched it and regretted it and I'm still resentful today. Mm. You've had Anton Dex alien autopsy in your um, bag for about two years uh, now. Along with Mandy. Oh, wow. I remember John giving that to you for your birthday. Yeah. But and yes, it's I, the Star Wars movie that I held most against you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Peter, you will be getting Mandy for birthdays and Christmases <laughs> for many years to come. That is all we have time for for this episode of the Nerdfest podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, do give us a follow on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK. And by all means, if you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and leave us that review. And you can expect this from John in return. I will come around and give you my undivided love and attention and hope you don't notice the other five people who replied (laughs) to the tweets who have my photo on their desks. Awesome. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who's going to go mash his nose back into shape with two cold spoons. Ooh. A man who is trusting Peter to edit in the sensible takes. <laughs> <laughs> and a man who is hiding the photographs on his desk as we speak. Oh dear. 
and a tough and deadly woman who's an expert with fists and guns and not afraid to use them. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I can do another. No, it's fine. I will come onto your house and do whatever you desire, but first I will have to demolish your house to ensure there are no (laughs) 1980s bugs left in it. The top floor of your house. The top floor. Yeah. Where the magic happens. (laughs) (laughs) That might work.